Welcome to the Love Truth Leadership Podcast. I appreciate your patience as we bring you this special episode, a bit later than promised. Today, it's just me here as Larry sends his best wishes. We're honored to have John England joining us. He's not just a former district attorney. He's a visionary in the realm of criminal justice, passionately advocating for a shift from incarceration to rehabilitation. His rich experience and deep commitment to transformative justice are set to enlighten and inspire us all. So let's settle in for what promises to be a truly engaging and insightful conversation. questions for our, our, our very esteemed guests that we have today. I'm very excited actually to bring uh, John on. It's a, it, I've known him and admired John for a very long time. I mean, shoot, John, you, I met you at the bike shop, what, probably going on like 13 years ago almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, that's for sure. We used to ride together <laughs> all the time. He, uh, Right now he's traveling in a van, so I don't get to spend as much time with him as I used to. But his uh, <laughs> most recent professional chapter was at England Law, uh, where his advocacy in criminal and civil matters were were nothing short of uh, you know exemplary. Uh, this followed a remarkable tenure um, in public service, where he made substantial cr- contributions in, to the legal field as a district attorney in the twenty first. Uh, what was the twenty first judicial? Uh, district attorney's office in Grand Junction, Colorado. John adeptly managed a div- diverse criminal docket, including juvenile cases. His work encompassed a wide range of legal responsibilities from prosecuting serious cases to conducting detailed legal research and trials. Uh, his versatility extends beyond the courtroom into the healthcare sector, where he provided uh, vital consultation and leadership as a CEO and corporate counsel for Palm Creek Medical. And uh, he's a graduate of uh, Crichton University of School of Law. Uh, his dedication to community service is an inspira- inspiring and his professional achievements with contributions to organizations like the Food Bank of the Rockies, the Colorado Caucus System, and the Hope, Cent- uh, the Hope Center in Omaha, Nebraska. So today we're going to dive into his extensive experience and his forward-thinking approach to the criminal justice system, particularly his advocacy for rehabilitation over incarceration. John, it's an honor, my man. Uh, yeah, I welcome you as a mentor and a friend to the Love Truth Leadership Podcast. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, and I really am excited to be here. You know, I've listened to uh, some of your podcasts and really enjoy the topics that you and Larry, you know, speak about and the relationship you guys have, because it's, it's truly just kind of inspirational. I think it provides a real, you know, service to those out there that are kind of looking for that same thing and that, that, that need in their, their lives. So yeah, it's just great to you know talk to you and hang out with you, you know, uh, in this capacity. So thanks for having me. Yeah. We appreciate you being on my man. Um, I was sitting there, uh, I'm sitting, you know, I was trying to think about like, 
okay, what, what, what topic do I, what do we tackle next? And Larry and I have a project that we're working on where we're trying to get in, um, like youth groups kind of thing. I'm doing a, a little bit of a, uh, a side podcast. It's going to be like it, you know, a once a month uh, type of special show where we bring on a bunch of young kids and, and just talk to them about like their struggles that they're having with mental health and trying to tackle this issue, you know, early on. And uh, especially for young men, because I feel like a, a lot of young men have uh, a lot of struggles being able to be open about their issues and problems and that kind of stuff. Right. And just trying to teach him a way to, you know, balance life and at the same time balance, you know, a a good mental aspect towards life. So that's going to be something that's coming up in the future. Um, Actually, uh, before this episode, uh, the first when it's the the periodic episode is called the roundtable, and I actually already have one of those recorded. So that'll be. That'll be coming out before this episode comes out. So um, I'm going to get right into it, John. Uh, so in your career as a district attorney, did you encounter any specific uh, mental health disorders more frequently among offenders? And uh, how did this uh, this impact your approach to their prosecution and, and or rehabilitation? Um, yeah, I think, you know, mental health was a, was a component in, uh, you know, a number of cases, uh, and that can range, you know, from significant to like the insanity where you um, people are probably familiar with kind of the, the insanity defense. He's not guilty by reason of insanity, but that is, that's a, that's a very high bar. So, yeah. you know, in order to get over that, you have to show not only that the person kind of didn't know what they're doing, but they didn't, can't even understand right from wrong. And so it rarely comes up and maybe mainly only comes up in those big, like, cases as far as you know it, the crime is so egregious i think the, the aurora shooter they tried that defense there and the, yeah. the jury was like no, no that's <laughs> right, not, yeah. <laughs> not not what uh is going on here and but i did i had that come up like i had a couple times where uh you know the person was in you know a ward of the state and so they're in a facility and say they assault their caretaker and that would come up and you know, the caretaker is like, no, they, they, you know, and you've got, you're dealing with victims and they're like, Hey, I was assaulted severely. I, you know, I've worked with this person for a long period of time. They clearly know right from wrong and that. And so you're trying to kind of figure out, you know, does the person know this, you know, what can we do? What other, you know, services or ways can we make this right? Um, yeah. and that's what you're often balancing. It's like the, the victim, you know, kind of, you know, having justice, having, you know, taking, you know, hearing what they had to say, versus you know like how do we help this person that's already kind of a ward of the state and that and so that's kind of the only time that i really saw that and i don't know all the specific diagnosis that they suffer from but it's kind of a kind of the far reaching one of the other things that comes up quite a bit is whether the person is competent to proceed to trial and so i you know work as a worked as a defense attorney and so you're working with the individual and sometimes i wasn't sure the person really understood so what you're looking at there is does the person understand where they're at, the potential penalties, can they have a, a you know a conversation with you to kind of strategize for defense? And there were certain times when I would work with my clients, like, I, I just don't know. And then that those cases, the court will bring in somebody to evaluate that person. Yeah. But I think for the today, kind of what we're going to talk about more is just kind of that, you know, the mental health aspect as a component of rehabilitation. And so those you'd see ranges of everything. You got kind of some manias, you know, psychosis, schizophrenias, 
Um, and then, you know, kind of the bigger, biggest thing that you see is like drug oh, substance yeah. and, and alcohol use. And yeah. So, and so like for people looking for an escape, right? I'm sorry to mean to interrupt you, but yeah. it's one of those things where, you know, they're trying to escape this situation that they're in. So they, you know, refer to substances to help them you know either have a better time or to help them alleviate stress or whatever it is right and then those yep. substances yeah. lead to a never-ending cycle of falling downhill basically no definitely yeah like that self-medication is like and oftentimes you just they just don't have either the resources the understanding of what is needed and so um yeah they're using that that substance to kind of get an escape or to kind of you know deal with the situation and so for me, you know, drug use, I took a recent psychology class and they, they categorize it, you know, as mental health. But for me, it always, always seemed kind of seems like it's kind of more than that. It, it yeah. is and it's got something additional. And so, you know, that was one of the bigger ones that I saw is that. And then you have kind of more, more of, you know, like lesser, like, you know, things that, I mean, you have people come in, you know, they're completely, you know, don't know where they're at and stuff like that. Oh yeah. But that was pretty minimal. But it, then there was also just kind of that day to day, you know, thing that where it is, it's in rehabilitation. I think we'll talk about it more in that, but I think mental health is a huge component of that is just helping somebody to, you know, deal with that, deal with the substance issue, deal, deal with that. And so, um, yeah, for me, what I always tried to kind of have is at least like incarceration as a last resort. and Which know, is what I appreciate you about you a lot, my man, is the <laughs> fact that you're like, all right, yeah. let's figure out how we can get you into something that's going to improve yourself, right? Rather than like, all right, cool, going to jail, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that was, I think, you know, Colorado, I think in general has started to move that direction and um, you take the area of DUIs and uh, you know, they have in Colorado, a fourth DUI can be classified as a felony, yeah. um, but there's specific legislation that says you have to exhaust essentially all rehabilitation um, before you can incarcerate somebody in, in department of corrections. And so um, I think there is, there's a lot of legislation kind of moving that way that kind of also encourages that, but then you get, you know, particular say DA's offices where they want to, you know, put people in jail because, yeah. you know, it's easier for the yeah. most part, you know, you don't have to deal with it. You don't have to deal with somebody violating their probation and coming back. It's just done. And, and, you know, and, you know, it's kind of, you know, we're cleaning up the streets. There's sometimes that um, kind of, I guess, I don't know, thought process, but for me, it was always, yeah, if, if there was something I could do to help the person through rehabilitation, get some additional services. And so I oftentimes would work with the defense attorneys, like what, what does this person need so that not only is the community safe, but that this person could get help and, and get the services they need. So that in the long run, we're not having this, we're not seeing that person come back. And you're breaking, you're trying to break the cycle, right? Where you can, yeah. you put a person into jail and I've seen it with like close personal friends and they, they become institutionalized, you know, and it's something yeah. that like that they're completely comfortable with and, and that kind of thing. And then living yep. the outside life at that point in time becomes too big for them to try to tackle. So they just go break another yeah. law to get, you know, thrown back into jail again or prison. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you, and I think it did you see like a lot of lack of purpose in these people as well? You know, like, uh, you know, not having like a bigger goal in their life. Yeah, definitely. I think that was kind of what I wrestled with a lot in, in the courtroom is I'd see a lot of these guys come through the courtroom. 
Um, and they come over and over and we get different resources, you know, get some you know, mental health resources, we get drug resources, we get different things. And like, that was what I'd wrestle with. And I'd meet some of these guys in the community and, um, you know, they'd recognize me. And I think most DAs wouldn't talk to them. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, I became an attorney cause I, I, I wanted to help people. I wanted, I had, you and I talked about this kind of before the show is that, you know, I've been kind of in the system a little bit, you know, yeah. had my run-ins with the criminal justice system and, you know, what was it that kind of helped me? And it, it was, it's like what you have with Larry, somebody kind of walking alongside them, um, walking alongside me. For me, it was having a, a purpose. You've mentioned Victor Frankl in some of your oh, prior yeah. episodes. It's like, what he talks about is having that infinite spiritual reference point, something beyond yourself. Yeah. And so, uh, there's this one young man that I've been probably mentoring for about four years. And so, yeah, I think sometimes we're like, Hey, the person's going to turn around instantly, but it's never no. like a quick turnaround. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, just no. like, it's, I'm struggling with like, I'm, just, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 he had just gotten out. He, you know, got in trouble again. So he was getting out of, of jail and I'm like, Oh man, I don't have anywhere. And so I got my sprinter van. And so I set up this hammock and I was like, okay, what, what do we do to get a big, bigger vision? for your life and so yeah. we're like hiking 14ers we're doing this stuff because it's like how do you break that identity that somebody who's been essentially been in the system since they're 14 you know something like that to current age of like 22 23 yeah um how do you see a bigger vision for yourself and so that was really something i wrestled with and wanted to at least like try and see if there's a way to like find that for an individual. The word yeah. you used was identity, right? They identify mm -hmm. as yeah. this, which is, that's, yeah. a, we, that's the hardest thing to break. You know, it's like, I grew yeah. up living in this scenario. So this is my identity. This is who I am. And it's easy yeah. for me to go and do these things that might cause me to get in trouble because it's who I am. And that's something that yeah. I feel like is really huge. What misconceptions do you yeah. think the public or the criminal justice system holds about offenders with uh, mental health issues? Um, you know, I think it, it's kind of different from everybody's point of view. So if yeah. you kind of look at the the victim's point of view, when I would work with victims, it's like kind of if I had explained to him what the defense attorney provided me about what this person suffers with, um, you know, it's like, sometimes it'd be like, well, is the person just going to get away with it? Like, oh, why yeah. is there not justice for me? I was the one that was hurt. And so um, we need, you know, and then oftentimes depending on the victim is like, they need to be punished so that it deters them. Well, not always, there's always a deterrent just having punishment or having incarceration. So for me as a district attorney, what, how I'd approach it is just, you know, try and be open. I think some of the other district attorneys would, you know, and kind of set the stage is like, Hey, this is what we got I see going on here. Um, you know, these are the options that we tend to have is probation, which would, you know, allow this individual to get some, some treatment in both say drug, drug use and, you know, some therapy and things like that. Um, so that this doesn't happen to other people in the future. Obviously we have incarceration, um, and then just kind of walk through so that, you know, I think sometimes the expectation is like, well, we'll do whatever the victim wants. And I don't think as a DA, that's what, the job is and there's you know that's kind of what it spells out a lot of times is that's not really the, the da the district attorney the prosecutor is supposed to seek justice not necessarily just incarcerate people yeah and that's um, fair and but so, i mean you gotta also understand the victim you know in in those scenarios they have a right to right to want to seek that yeah. as well which i mean i totally yeah. get i mean i understand that but yeah 
that's where, you know, us as victims, maybe need to have a little bit more compassion towards the person that, and, and, and look at where their scenario was, maybe depend every, everything yeah. is going to be different. That's why our law system is so intricate, right? Is because we have all these different scenarios that, that go on for yeah. different, for the same law that's broken in many different ways. Right. Yeah. And it, and you look at the, the criminal history. So this is a first time offender versus that, but there's a lot of, you know, from the defendant's side, I think oftentimes there's a huge mistrust. Oh yeah. You know, especially somebody who's been in the system for a long time. It's like, I don't want to tell you about my, what's going on mentally because I don't want it to be hammered against me. You know, anytime they exactly. come into contact with the system, it's been a punishment. It's been bad. It's been something like that. And so, and they don't oftentimes want the stigma. It's like, Hey, you know, if I, if I come out and I'm this, then I'm going to be stigmatized as somebody who suffers from this or can't, isn't, isn't normal. And so, yeah. um, yeah, there's all these things. And I, I think, you know, looking at that is for the thing that I, what I worked on, what we tried to do in the 21st judicial district, it was, it was the only judicial district in uh, Colorado that didn't have a treatment court. So every other you know judicial district. So I sat on a board out there to try and get that in um, Grand Junction, and it was tough because I, I I I don't know if they're just ingrained. A lot of the the court didn't think that it was needed, um, and so we're sitting there thinking, you know, for me, I'm like, hey, this is you know, and like the ones that were proponents of it, it's like we need something like this because it's a huge way of keeping not only costs down, but helping individuals actually walk out of the system. Yeah. And what I saw is this idea of like, it wasn't just substances. What we were trying to do is like a full, like a treatment court where we'd almost have somebody like kind of would walk with the individual through getting out of the system. So they may not have the ability to take their kids to daycare or that, or, you know, you know, just even the simplest tasks that we may take, you know, on a daily basis, like, Oh, that's not that big a deal. It's like, it's very difficult for them to, to, to do that because they don't have the resources. So yeah. it's like, if you can get them to that, like they can't get to that next step is like finding a treatment court or way um, of, you know, doing kind of walking with them through the process is kind of where I and the rest of the individuals on the, the treatment court, were trying to work through that so that they, uh, you know, could, could get the, you know, get the, the, the resources and the, the treatment that they needed. So that's basically those were some of the initiatives that you took as far as like in the in the twenty first district was to try to provide that um, you know that rehabilitation program for them basically. Yeah, we were trying to get a treatment court in that judicial district because, like I said, it's the only one that doesn't have it in Colorado, and so. There's a lot of different treatment courts in Colorado. There's, you know, there's DUI courts for individuals that continue to get DUIs. There's yeah. um, substance, you know, you know, substance um, drug courts kind of essentially. And then there's mental health courts. We were trying to do almost like an amalgamation where it's just a little bit of everything, but it was essentially somebody who would walk with the individual okay. um, to kind of get to these resources and essentially a little bit mentor, but a little bit just like helping coordinate everything. Yeah, so 100%. Like coordinator or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, cause like I can, I can speak from this personally, actually, cause I remember whenever I got my, well, and this may seem, you know, insignificant to a lot of people, but I got my fifth driving on a suspended license. <laughs> so the, <laughs> and the, and, and you go through, I, I, I went through life, you know, breaking all kinds of laws and had, had a bunch of sentences that were deferred, but that's only on your employment record whenever they get deferred, right? It's not in the criminal yeah. record. 
And so the, I remember yeah. the judge specifically, she's like, Nick, you've been a criminal since you were 16. And, and, yeah. and she's all like, so, and you, you, you know, you've managed to, you know, uh, escape punishment a lot for a lot of this stuff. So I'm throwing the book at you, you know, you're a habitual yeah. offender. This is, I'm charging you with a felony and this and that. And I ended up like pleading with her, ended up getting that deferred and, um, and, and she wanted to put me in, uh, in jail for nine months, you know, give yeah. me the, give me the max sentence that she could give me. And as, and I was, yeah. and I pled with her and pled with her and was like, please just let me have house arrest, you know, or something or work release yeah. or something, you know? And, um, and she ended up, you know, was, did give me uh and it was almost my saving grace right you know just having a little bit of this compassion found in this judge but she ended up giving me 18 months of house arrest and i lost my license for like two and a half years and i mean when looking back on it i'm so grateful that i had that ability to escape that in in that way basically because or that i found that compassion in that person because you know, I would have lost my job. I would have had a, like a, 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 a mad life reset when it came out, you know, probably in, in worse for wear than going in, you know, spending that amount of time yeah. in, in the jail system. And, and so yeah. that was, I was lucky enough, you know, and I count my blessing there for sure to, yeah. to be where like, okay, yeah. cool. Thank you for letting me, you know, escape this process for sure. And, uh, yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things where looking back now, I mean, in the punishment, I'm like, man, this is sucks. But looking back now, it's like, man, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, I lost my license. So I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have been able to ride bikes, you know, cause that was my only transportation was riding a bike to and from work and, and then yeah. getting into the bike shop. So that, and while it was bad at the time that springboarded my whole life transition basically into to living this positive a little bit more of a positive lifestyle yeah um, yeah there's like that kind of that balance between you know you know consequences or you know standards and compassion it's yeah like if you give only one or only the other you can't you can you can err on either side but you know but it seemed like the judge still had those standards yeah with you but also showed you that compassion that let, let you know like okay you know, they are going to give me that shot. You know, there is, you know, somebody that's kind of rooting for you. And yeah, that's a exactly. lot of the thing with treatment courts. It's like you have like where individuals come back into the courtroom and the court's like, hey, you're doing a great job. You know, there's other people in there. They're like also going through the same thing. So you're kind of walking through it together. You're not just kind of like a number in the system. It's like, I go serve your probation term. It's like individuals kind of coming together to like work through this process and kind of succeed together. So, yeah. um, that's, That's huge. Awesome. It is huge. And and now that I think about it, I'm actually going to try to find out who that judge was and write her a letter of thanks. <laughs> That's not, yeah. Because, you know, pay, pay some of my gratitude forward to her because without that little bit of leniency towards my part, it, it would have been, I, I would, I wouldn't like to see where my life would be at right now, basically. I'm sure she'd love to hear it because, you know, I'm sure judges don't ever get, get the positive for the most part. I mean, you know, I, even as a prosecutor, I was like, you know, all the time you'd be, you know, convicting individuals. I remember this one guy who came in and he, you know, couldn't qualify for the public defender. So he came and talked to me directly. And I ran into him later. He's like, I just wanted to thank you. You really changed my life. It was kind of a similar situation was 
you know, messing up on probation, struggling with substances like, Hey, you know, you've had all these opportunities. It's either, you know, you do this or you're, you know, you're, I got to put you in prison. Um, or I got to ask for that at least. And he's like, okay, I'll I'll do it. And like, you never see somebody, but I happen to see this one guy and it it does, it has an impact because you don't necessarily see that um, as a judge or from the prosecutor's court. So I think that'd be awesome. So how do you balance the need for accountability and actions with understanding of mental health influences? Now, I want to clear something up real quick, because whenever I'm talking mental health, I'm not just I'm not talking just, you know, you know, I'm uh, let me let me think about this for a sec, because mental health, it has it is such a big subject and it's yeah. it, it doesn't have to say where there's like a clinical diagnosis. Right. You know. It can be yeah. just like my life feels off and my I have a hard time thinking about positive things to do or or yeah. I, I don't feel positively about myself. So it's easy for me to, you know, not put value in my actions. You know, that's it's such a big deal. That's where, you know, mental health can be as small as I don't have a good routine or as big as I definitely have some kind of issue and I need to be on medication, you know, and, yep. and, and even further than that, you know, to up, up to insanity. So yeah, like how do you balance the need for accountability and criminal actions with the understanding that people don't, you know, have the, the accurate mental health? Yeah. And I think what you're saying, yeah, is, is true. And I think the more studies that we're seeing come out is like, there's more and more of the population that struggles with, let's say, anxiety. Um, yeah. And so oftentimes those in uh, that are in custody or in the criminal justice system, you know, the percentage may be higher. Um, doesn't necessarily mean somebody is uh, doesn't know right from wrong, isn't accountable. Um, doesn't mean that they can't make payments back to society, back to the victim. Um, and so you're trying, at least for me, I would look at those situations and kind of see what is the capacity of this person. Uh-huh. Um, I found in my particular position, um, the, the defense attorneys tended to trust, I guess, me because, I, you know, if they gave me information like that, I wouldn't hold it against them kind of thing. Because there's always that strategy in the court. We want to win the trial. But, yeah. you know, so you have to balance that that whole thing. But you know, it's like, you know, how do you It's like, how do you hold this person accountable? And there can be you know, simple things as like writing letters. I saw that a lot on the juvenile court when you'd work with young kids, you know. And, and there's like, hey, you know, that's a big thing. You know, it's like, hey, can you write a letter to the victim? Can you apologize? Can you do this? Try and set those standards of what would have been, you know, it's okay to make mistakes from time to time, but how do you, how do you account for that? How do you make it right in this situation? Um, and then you got to balance that community safety aspect. It's like, you know, is the person, you know, if they do, if you don't put them, you know, in, in custody, in jail or whatnot, how do you ensure that communities uh, not going to be in danger? Exactly. Um, but there's also that balance of if it goes on untreated, how is it also continue, continuing to contribute to their criminal behavior? Because just because somebody suffers with mental health doesn't like that. The mental health aspect is kind of separate from the criminal behavior. Yeah. Um, but if you know something that you want to as part of a full rehabilitation to help somebody walk out of like criminal behavior is where you want to address all the issues, whether that's, you know, you know, some kind of underlying mental health issue, some kind of substance issue. And for what I saw a lot was 
you know, the substance and the mental health had, were correlated. Not oh, yeah. necessarily that, like if you use substances, you definitely have mental health or mental health means that you're going to use. But there was a correlation. And in healthcare, I saw this as well, is that, you know, our our provider, one of them did a lot with mental health and bipolar and schizophrenia, and depression, anxiety. And he would have his patients sign contracts and, and he'd do drug screens on them. He's like, you know, you won't be able to be, feel the benefits of the prescribed medications unless you walk out of you know, your substance use as well. And we can treat this. And so I think a lot of these real rehabilitation programs and what you're looking for on balancing community safety is like coming at it from a multi-dimensional approach, like every aspect of what it means to be human. Oh yeah. Um, it's and huge. Mental health is a big component of that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a <laughs> huge component of that. And it's, I, I, I think I, whenever you're talking, I'm sitting there thinking about myself, uh, thinking about not myself, but it's like people that don't maintain value in what their life can be or what service yeah. they can provide other people and stuff like that. And it's, so it's like, you know, all they have to do is like be self-serving and do what it takes to be self-serving. Right. So they sit yeah. there and like, okay, cool. It's nothing for me to, you know, make somebody a victim, you know, break a law yeah. and, and that kind of stuff. So that's what yeah, they, oftentimes I think one of the things, go ahead, oh, go ahead. No, no, One you're, of the things you're we up. Not dis- <laughs> <laughs> we may not discuss a huge amount today because I think we're focused from the defense side, but I think the statistics are that those that suffer from mental health issues oftentimes are victims of crimes. And oh, yeah. so, you know, how does that, how do you work through that situation and ensure that, you know, like from the prosecution side, it's like also, are, are we working with the victim to help them get the resources exactly. they need? Exactly. That actually, the Victims' Rights Act came out, came into effect when uh, President Reagan got shot. And he goes through the process. He's like, nobody really reached out to me or talked to me. He's like, I think that our country needs to have you know meaningful conversations with victims. And so he put that into into law because he he experienced it. And yeah. So you know, trying to balance all those things is really difficult. Um, you know. And there's obviously no one one answer fits all, but it's no. just you know weighing all these different things um, and you know community safety versus rehabilitation versus you know what are we looking at in the future? What can we do? Um, and, and and people's rights, like to, to incarcerate somebody, takes away their rights. You know they they don't they no longer have you know their right you know for freedom and all these things. Um, and so it is. It, it's something that, you yeah. know, as as a prosecutor, kind of weighed heavily on me. No joke. Um, in everything that I did. And then you got to yeah. also think about like, like you said, from the victim standpoint. You know, okay, so the victim now doesn't have the correct mental health because of this issue that they went through with with somebody who committed a crime against them, but. Mm-hmm. They don't, you know, they're not sitting there going to go out and, you know, repeat the process, right? You know, so it boils down to like a level of morality as well, right? So you break yeah. one, you break one small law and it's like, okay, cool. That was, that was nothing. I didn't get caught. I didn't get in, the trouble that I got into wasn't that big a deal. So the next, my next moral step is easier to, my next moral break, I should say, is easier to do. Yeah. You know, and then, okay, cool, I did that. And now my moral compass just keeps getting more and more askew. And you stop thinking about yeah. your actions or your behaviors affecting other people. And and so it's just yeah. like once you start this whole process, it just becomes easier and easier and easier to keep going morally downhill. You know, so it's it's yeah. a huge thing. And it's and it's it's crazy. <laughs> so uh yeah. So like from your experience though, what, 
is there any changes to legislation that you would recommend to better support the rehabilitation of offenders with mental health issues or, you know, maybe expand on that a little bit. Yeah, that's a huge topic. I think a lot of, I think, and like I said, I think Colorado is starting to take a a better look. They've been taking a look for a period of time. We're seeing more rehabilitation courts, more mental health courts, more substance drug courts, those kind of things. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's kind of go back to what we touched on a little earlier. It's just how do we walk with somebody that we truly are wanting to rehabilitate? Um, Because there's so much like, you know, when somebody gets out of jail and they're like, okay, you got to go do these things. It's like, there's a huge list. And if you, if you're just on probation, I mean, the probation officer isn't doing it for you though. Okay, go do these things. And so it can be overwhelming. Like I said, that young man that had gotten, you know, out of jail and, you know, got on a probation sentence. I was like, I was walking with him through it and like doing it and like, yeah, okay. So this is what we got to do. We got to go over here and sign up for this. And and if you take away, say you don't have a a license or a car or or, then it just compounds. Well, everything takes longer. So either either you're driving without a license or you're, um, you know, doing something that, you know, or you're taking, you know, twice as long to take the bus three times as long. And so, yeah. um, I think for me is like having somebody that can kind of coordinate, um, you know, that, that like those resources for somebody rather than just kind of getting a packet. It's like, Hey, these are things you need to do here. You can go try and help get this help here. Um, cause there's so much that somebody has to do. Um, and I think I've heard you and Larry talk about it before. It's like, and I think a lot of guys get out like, okay, I'm going to make a huge change now. And they try and bite off more than oh, they can chew. Yeah, so for real. That, <laughs> that 10% change every day, they're take, trying to do 120% change every day. And it's like, uh, you know, as people get overwhelmed and then fall back into what they know. And, oh, yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, I think, so I think for me, it's just, I think a lot of times we have the resources, but just uh, being able to coordinate them, being able to figure out, you know, how does this work? And then, you know, like, like I said, for me, like it's that the one that doesn't either doesn't or can't be part of the courtroom is, is ha- having that kind of that, that higher power kind of thing. It's oh, like, yeah. What does that look like, um, in your life? Um, cause oftentimes the court can't do that. The court can't no. tell you oh, what's, what's going to be the meeting in your life, but, uh, you know, what, what does that look like? So, uh, I think that we're moving in the right direction. I think, you know, mental health, uh, is actually on the radar in a lot of courtrooms and on the radar of the legislator. Um, what that looks like, you know, played out. I don't know. For me, it's just kind of having that aspect of, how do we walk individuals through this so that they make sure that they're taking advantage of those resources? Exactly. People finding a, a purpose that's positive for their lifestyle and something that has a positive effect on other people. I mean, it can be, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's something that's, this subject is a lot bigger than what it really is. And then what we're, you know, covering in just this podcast episode, I mean, it's huge yeah. in comparison to what it really yeah. is. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, I think it starts, you know, from from whenever a lot of people are developing as teenagers, not having the right support network or being able to address the issues that they see going on in their lives. And next thing you know, they're like, OK, cool. Well, you know, I don't feel like I'm cared about and and yeah. stuff like that, too. You know, it's, it's something that is just yeah. gigantic. And and the way yeah. we need to look at it is, is it's not just an improvement for the individual either. It's an improvement for society overall as well. You know, it's not, and, and that's where I, that's where I really, you know, if, if you're having a a hard time finding that big, you know, higher power, power, the spiritualness of it all, 
it's think about the effect that it's going to have on your fellow man, you know, and how much life is going to be better for everyone. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it it is. It's just something, yeah, to try and find that. And like you said earlier, it's like, there's not one size fits all. It's what, you know, that, that, you have to be able to, and that's what gets hard in the, in the criminal justice system is it moves very slow. It's, you know, it's hard to really tailor everything. Um, there's, there's a lot of cases. And as a prosecutor, I try to do is tailor that sentence too. And I know the judges do as well, but, um, if I was going to give somebody a chance, it's like, okay, this person has been arrested, you know, seven times and, you know, is on probation for, you know, three, um, three felonies. It's like, and you want me to give them another chance on probation? Well, what what are we going to do? And so exactly. I've had people say, I will stay in custody until I can go directly into rehab, whether that's six months, a year, whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, this person's serious. This person's serious about getting the help that they need. And so, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm I would love to work with this person. And okay. I see it work a lot of times. It's like tailoring it so that that you know the individual gets the the specific help they need. Uh, do you think that pr- the current prison environments are condu- uh, conducive to addressing mental health issues? And um, if not, what changes would you suggest? No, I mean, the, the prison system, uh, you know, it, there are resources there. I'm not, I'm not super familiar with all the, the, the things that there that are available. I think there are resources. Yeah. Um, I think it's what you talked about earlier is like having that identity by the time you get there. Um, I think, either you you oftentimes you have this this mental picture of yourself this identity that this is who i am this is what i this is all i'm going to know for my life and so i'm just going to bracket it out until i get out again yeah um and so yeah i think that there are some resources in there i think a lot of guys just don't take advantage of them because you know like what you're saying is like they don't have maybe something a bigger vision for their life and that and and i think there are some guys that do like yeah i'm mentoring a guy right now that's in doc and he we talk about it and uh you know we talk you know what is he doing this and i you know and um he is and and um part of my what i try and do is just encourage him i keep doing that let's talk about this and um just kind of walk with him through that until he does you know get out on parole and um i i think there's definitely can be more i don't really know what the best yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, I haven't done a huge amount like, oh, actually in the prison system. No, so, that's a loaded question yeah, a too, amount. though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, for sure. I definitely handed you a loaded one there because it's one of those things where yeah. it's at, what like like we discussed earlier. Once you go in, then you then you get you identify as a prisoner, you know, and that becomes your mm-hmm. identity. And then okay, well, you know, I'm already in jail and this and that, and then just living on the outside becomes hard and all that kind of stuff. And just being, that's where we, we um, like in our episode purpose and meaning to find that purpose or, and or meaning in your life, you really have to challenge your identity and who you identify as. And that's a big deal. So looking forward, are are your hopes for the future of criminal justice in relation to mental health and, 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 and rehabilitation? What are they? What are your hopes for the future of it? Um, so for rehabilitation is I, I do, I, I hope that there, it almost starts to come to like, you know, you're just, it's a day in, day out of the job. Like if you're a prosecutor, it's like, you've seen everything and you've seen yeah. everybody say, I'm going to change. And they don't, yeah. um, from the defense side, it's like, oh, you see the same thing. Yeah. And so it's a really tough 
situations so have area to kind of work in and not kind of a lot of people say just kind of lose lose kind of you know any kind of hope that somebody's going to kind of change or walk out of the system um and so for me it's like i actually have taken a step back from you know full-time practice of law to look at what that looks like. Cause like I said, I would see these individuals come through the courtroom and it's like, what can I do? And I started befriending them and, 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 and working with these guys that were what they call a halfway house or community yeah. crisis, what it's called in Colorado. And just kind of be that person to kind of mentor somebody and have that understanding. And, you know, it was tough. Like that one young man, like he told me it was probably a year in that he mentioned, Oh, by the way, you were the prosecutor on my, on my case. And he didn't tell me I wasn't the one that sentenced him. Otherwise I probably I would have remembered him, but, uh, you know, so he was very guarded because like, you don't trust people in law enforcement. If you're raised in a situation where, you know, you don't trust law enforcement. This young man has never had a positive role model in his life. His, his uncle get out of prison, have him moving drugs and guns and all these things. And, yeah. you know, just a situation that I didn't grow up in. Um, and it's been etched into like, as I saw, like on the juvenile docket, these kids is just, they're living in environments that's it's etched into them. And so what does it take to walk with somebody out of that, you know, identity out of that lifestyle, out of, you know, where there are to give them a vision for their life. Exactly. So, you know, you talked about that meaning and purpose. And I listened to that episode and, you know, one of the things, at least for me, um, that I found when I was in those situations is it's kind of rings true. The, the apostle John says is like, in the beginning was the logos, the, the reason for life. The reason for life was with God the reason for life was God. And so all these people, the Greeks were looking at like, what is it? Can we find this philosophical principle? Can we find that, you know, the apostle John says, I, this is it. This is who it is. And yeah. it's, you know, God incarnate that came down. And so that's what helped me to have this bigger vision for my life. That something beyond me, like Victor Frankl says, that infinite spiritual reference point captured me. And some of the stuff, that wasn't an immediate change. And that's what I see with some of these guys that, you know, my hope is like, hey, let's do this. And then you'll be, you know, a law-abiding citizen in, in, in six to 10 months. And you're like, well, no, it, <laughs> it takes a lot longer. Yeah, so can yeah. we walk with these individuals through this process? And it goes back to that, that DOC. If, if somebody, I had this young, young man, he went to prison early, like at age 21, 20, something like that. And, and you could see it in, in the courtroom. That was who was, it was his identity. And uh, like I tried every every aspect I could get. He was staying with people that, you know, I happened to know and they would call me and like, you know, it, it was just I was wrestling with it as a prosecutor. And I remember when the judge sentenced him, she was like, you know, everybody in this room is working harder for your success than you are. And I, I know that's harsh, but you know, I think he he like it was hard because I was like, you know, he's just identified as this. And, you know, his dad was working with him you know, like everybody was. And you know, how does that, that young man get a vision for his life that can break him out of that? And yeah. that's what, you know, while I, why I kind of took this step back right now and I'm kind of focused on that theology as I'm getting my master's in theology, it's like, what, what is it, what is missing from just the rehabilitation side of just therapy or just substance abuse treatment or just potential punishment? Is there something that we can do and put into this system that might help draw somebody out yeah. of that and say, Hey, I do have a vision for my life. My yeah. identity can be found in something else. Exactly. And, so and I mean, it that's can, kind of what I'm looking at. It can be, yeah. and it can, and it's, and it, it's a lot to do with, you know, the upbringing, what school system they go to, how they feel about themselves while they're being taught things, you know, like, okay, so I'm not smart enough to learn, to learn this subject at school. So I'm just not good enough. And then, you know, it's, 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 it's more, it's, 
the the issue is relatively gigantic um when it all comes down to it it's like how can we prepare all these young people to live a life of purpose and to live a life that's beneficial towards our society you know and 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 stuff like that And and it boils down to so many different factors the house they're raised in the the schooling system that they go to how they feel about themselves in the schooling system um whether they're taught they're um you know, they're taught to fit in a box or, you know, like taught their skills, you know, something that, that they're found to be exemplary and let's teach them that rather than just being, no, you have to do the current math problem that everybody is learning in the same box, you know? So it's, there's so many changes that need to happen to really incorporate this whole thing, but it's, and, um, it, it, Larry and I sit here and talk about these kind of issues all the time. And we just, we, we talk for hours and hours and hours about how all of these, these certain factors of our society need this giant change to incorporate a better, a better outcome for everyone. Um, so I'm going to move into a few of uh, Larry's questions that he sent for you. Uh, um, what, events have happened that have had a profound effect on your life uh for me personally or how uh yeah just for you personally um and i think i shared a little bit of that as well as that um i got in trouble when i was younger and yeah. i, I kind of started taking on that identity i wrestled i would get in trouble be wrestling with it as you know having to go to court or whatnot and i'm like okay i'm going to change i'm going to make these steps and i'm going to change the direction of what i'm going and I just kept falling down and I was like, ah, what do I do? And, and that's why I say for me, it was having that where I felt like, uh, you know, an encounter with God, where I okay. felt like God came and got me. Heck yeah. And so that was a big one for me. It's just like, you know, there's certain times, at least in my life that I feel like I've seen that there has to be something beyond what I can really grasp, you know, in this life. And so that was, I think the biggest thing for me is what did. And, it kind of, I think, changed the way I viewed and approached things in the courtroom because, you know, as a prosecutor, oftentimes, like, you hear the other prosecutors, oh, these guys are just criminals, you know, let's just, let's lock them up, let's do this. It's just kind of that, you know, and they have a job to do and, then, you know, that's their job. It's just like, but there's this kind of this vision of it. And then, you know, the judges are kind of too, like, they have a, like, hey, you know, and it's almost like everybody's kind of looking at this one person as like, they're less than. Um, and then oh, I became yeah. a defense attorney. And I, I remember one of the defense attorneys goes, uh, none of these guys are really worth your bar card. They're worth your license to practice. And that was just kind of protecting me because I'm a nice guy and, you know, might get over involved and whatnot. But I think, you know, I kind of envisioned them looking at them in a different way, but it was like, you know, I just like approaching the job is like, but for the grace of God, go I. It's like, I could just as easily be me in that situation. And the way I know that is because I sat there. I've yeah. walked in this person's shoes. And so yeah. like, what can I do to like help this individual? And so I feel like in my life, like God's used the experiences, my failures, my flaws, my mistakes in a way that I could do, go help somebody else in that same situation. And so that's kind of like my own, like personal, you know, recap and a real big, yeah. <laughs> short yeah, period of yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, I think there's certain things that, that, that we like. We may see in our own lives as failures and flaws and mistakes, but if there is something bigger to all this, it can be turned around to oh, use yeah. for the good of somebody else, and that's exactly. what the purpose of life is. So, yeah, just yeah. benefiting others. I really feel like having that service that you can provide to other people 
is, is something that yeah. that we get lost in. We don't feel like we need, we need to provide service to others and and we live in this selfishness and and stuff and and having that is a big deal. So if you had yeah. a magic wand, what changes would you like to make in our legal system? Oh geez. <laughs> That's a huge question. Um, I, I, I think we've maybe touched on it a little bit, but yeah. man, it is it the hard part, it is so slow. Like, you know, victims don't get justice for years on serious crimes. Yeah. You know, the, the juvenile docket is, you know, in theory, you want swift proportional response because kids don't have this um, capacity to really understand things a year later, you know, uh, as far as that goes, when you're 15 years old, a year later seems like, you know, a new whole world. You're oh, developing, yeah. your mind is, you know, and so, I mean, the system, you know, we say, I mean, you hear that said all the time, it's broken. And, oh, yeah. and there's, in a lot of ways, it definitely is. And then in a lot of ways, when you, when I would see the judge be like, give the you know the sworn make the the bailiff swear to keep the jury separate and, and do their job and i mean it's very it's a great system too like there's yeah. definitely worse places and worse systems out there um but i like the idea of like is there a way to make things facilitate them a little bit quicker um you know i for me it's like oftentimes i was you know i thought outside the box i felt you know as far as i hey go do 20 hours of community service come back show me that you did it and i'll just dismiss the case let's not tie everything up get your sentence do this um and let's just get it done and so that you don't have to deal with it you don't have that conviction on your record and so i think some more creativity would be awesome um i think more you know trying to get you know the big cases obviously they're going to take forever homicide you know armed robbery those kind of things but you know starting like you said starting with somebody's like their first time in there if you can like what i see happen is people get caught up and like if any of us live on probation the probation officer probably is going to find something we're doing wrong anyhow you know no matter how good you live your life nobody can live under strict scrutiny at all times and be you know and come out you know know, always doing the right thing and so you know it's a really hard question to say if i had a magic wand but i think you know having a way where we don't and especially in that younger period like not only the juvenile court because there is pretty substantial resources for juveniles but you hit 18 and now you're being tried as an adult oh yeah and so 18 to 25 is a period where most most indicators say that your brain is still developing yeah and so we're treating these individuals as adults they may not have that you know that full fully developed brain and so we're we're giving felony convictions lifelong convictions to an individual who's gonna you know have that for from 18 to say 80 you know however long they live that just follows them forever and obviously people can walk out of that but I don't know. I really wrestled in that, that kind of that age range. It's like, how do we do this in a way that, you know, somebody who makes a youthful mistake isn't going to be, have that follow with them. And I think honestly, Colorado has done a few things with sealing records. So um, I think there's little changes here and there. um, But I think a lot of the system is good, but it it definitely could use an overhaul, especially in the area of like efficiencies and rehabilitation and walking with somebody, giving them those chances and figuring out a way to, like capture them out of and, and and live outside of what, you know, maybe has been etched in their life, their entire, you know, childhood or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. No joke. That's just the, the elite. I like your, your walk with them. Like, you know, yeah. we need to have that, that structure for people to maybe have the support to where they're not, you know, they start thinking about things in the way that they, they, they're used to. And then they have that, checks and balances you know the group that gives them the checks and balances or the person that's like okay listen if you do this 
And if you continue to do this, this is going to be the result. And let me show you a way to cope with being bored maybe, or, you know, uh, learning how to improve your life and that kind of stuff. What would you like people to do to pay it forward to others? You know, I, I, I we've talked about it a lot today. You talk about it on your podcast, you that relationship you and Larry have that mentoring relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my dad was really a big proponent of that and he would mentor, you know, individuals. Uh, he's a physician. He'd mentor med students 40, I think it's 42 years. Uh, he did it essentially every, 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 you know, every year, multiple individuals. And, um, it's hard. I remember when, uh, you know, community corrections ca- contacted me and, and one of the case managers there was like, Hey, I, I've heard you've been spending some time with, you know, some of my clients and he was kind of perplexed. Uh, he's like, you know, um, you know, for a DA, I, I mean, to cross over and, and talk to you. I remember one of, one of my, my trials, I shook the hand of a guy who did a pro se. He was pretty belligerent with the court, pretty out of control and, and, and that, but, you know, I tried to show him like some compassion and just be like, and kind of calm the situation. I shook his hand afterwards. Like, Hey, you did a good job. And one of my supervisors, like, I can't believe you talked to that guy. It's like, I think we have a perception of like, either you don't talk to him, but there's also, um, you know, to pay it forward is just, I remember in the community corrections guy, he didn't really ask me about the guys I'd been spending time. He's like, Hey, will you mentor some of our younger guys? We don't have that in, um, in, in our, in, in our community corrections program. And I'd love to have these guys be able to get outside of this because they're, especially the younger guys are getting, you know, mentored by older criminals in community corrections. And so, you know, I, I do love that mentoring, like walking with somebody kind of bearing the burden, um, and, and just, you know, finding a way to, and it, it's hard because sometimes, I mean, I've been, you know, conned out of money. I've had, you know, and, and it, it, sometimes it, you may get a little just dis- disappointed, but I've had guys that I felt like, you know, made significant strides and then, you know, maybe overdosed and, and died. And, and it's like, you know, but to pay it forward to just say, Hey, you know, I want to be somebody in your life that can have kind of point you in the right direction point you to something bigger, point you to say, Hey, you do have value. You do have meaning. You do have a purpose in your life. Let's see if we can help find that together so that, you know, your life can be better. Cause like you said, I think that is kind of what we were designed to do. Yeah. And when we're not living in that, we start to feel like that that impact of that and start to feel the consequences of not living in that way and get focused very much in on ourselves and uh which that's not what we're designed to do so yeah i definitely think like paying it forward um now you, you got to be a little cautious like if you've never worked in that situation um you know, you, like for me that the uh the case manager was like hey we know you're you know but you gotta you know you gotta understand what you're getting into because it's it can be you know a situation that not everybody can do so i don't think everybody should just run out there and and try and do like a jail ministry or like, no no or work with individuals <laughs> but everybody has somebody in their life that they can say hey you know, let's walk together. Let's do this. I've learned this. It may not be exactly the same for you, exactly. but I have, you know, similar, you know, impacts and similar experiences that I would love to be somebody that could, you could be a sound, that can be a sounding board for you. And exactly. I think that's something that, especially men, like you were talking about earlier in this podcast is like, I don't think men are always real open. No. I think we've they've grown up, especially like my father's generation, stuff like that. I don't, he was never like super expressive in, in that and it's getting better, but I think men in general, just having an individual that say, Hey, you know, I experienced this, um, you know, this is, you know, this. And, um, so what we talked about, like what has happened in my life, one of those questions that Larry asked there is like, 
that kind of directed me to what um, I feel like I can help in those situations. But the, somebody else may have a different experience and like they've dealt with this, they've had a trauma and they can be somebody that somebody who's going through a similar trauma can can relate to. And so I really do think that that mentorship relationship is huge. And um, a lot of the guys that I talk to that I've mentored, like they're so happy to have that. Um, and there's guys that I've talked to in my um, psychology class that they just didn't have it growing up. And they're like, that's one thing that's just over and over. I hear from in every you know aspect is like, I wish I'd had that if, if they didn't. And the ones that do have it are just so thankful that they do. So if yeah. you can pay it forward, if you can have somebody you know, take advantage of that situation, because you learn a lot mentoring somebody as well. Yeah, that's the number one. Uh, I was telling Larry the other day, it was like, you know, because we, I talk to a lot of the kids that I work with and kind of help them with their issues and and let them know where I've been as a person, what I've done, and where I'm coming out of it now as at 40, you know, and where it's led me and and the decisions that I've made as a as a youth impacted my future 100. percent You know, it, it it you may not feel the impact of you know, the immediate impact of your future, but it's the, your thought process that, it, that it, those decisions bring with you basically. Right. And so just yeah. letting them know like, okay, cool. You're, you're comfortable thinking this way right now. Right. But whenever you learn that and you keep building on these thoughts and the next thing you know, your these will lead into you having completely negative thought processes whenever you're at 35 and guess what they're a whole lot harder to overwrite at 35 than they are at 18 <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh and 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 trying to escape that you know at an older age is a lot harder than escaping it whenever you're young and you can learn to make the the correct decisions at that point in time and and you know we're all, we're all young, right? We all want to live in the moment and have fun and yeah. impress people and, and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's one of those things where it's just like, does that really have a benefit to your life overall? If it doesn't, then let's, let's think about something else that's a little bit more positive. But yeah, yeah. John, uh, is there anything else that you want to add to our discussion today, my man? Well, we, we've covered a lot of topics. So yeah, um, yeah I think... Like if you're if you're in the in the criminal justice looking at your audience and some younger younger individuals, you know I'm, I I you know just kind of walking through that in a situation. Um, if you're on, if you you know in charge of the crime, that um, you know obviously work with your defense attorneys and stuff like that because you know you have certain rights, you have certain things that that can really. But there is also like there is an element of being of help there. And so yeah. I think sometimes we don't like, like you were saying, you're, you're, you get nervous if you're going to get pulled over. Um, but you know, if you get on the sentence side and you're on probation, a lot of those probation officers are there to help you. They, yeah. they are, they want to help you. They want to walk with you um, in that situation to the extent they can. It's not going to be a mentor situation, No. Um, but just, you know, being willing to say, Hey, I need help. And I think that's a big one. And it's like, Hey, I can't do it on my own. What can I do? And then, you know, for those that have the capacity who maybe walk through some stuff, be willing to like go out there and mentor somebody and be that person. That's that person that kind of support that person. But, you know, I think, you know, just because, you know, 
you've made either committed a crime and convicted a crime or what that that doesn't have to be your identity no that doesn't have to be who you are it doesn't have to be how you see yourself how you walk through the world you can walk through the world in a different way and, oh uh, yeah yeah i just just know that there are people out there that are wanting to help and you know be willing to say hey i need that help and you know do it in you know in, in ways that you know that there are people that will help and be willing to trust that be willing to take that step that leap of faith it's like okay i know what i know and and taking that step into the unknown is scary because you oh, yeah. know it. Um, but it's gonna be like for me, it's like I can't keep living this way. So I gotta trust in something else. And exactly. So that's where I think it is taking that leap of faith, taking that trust step. Being comfortable in the unknown. Yeah, that's that's one yeah. thing I struggle right. with is being comfortable in the unknown. You know, that's yeah. that's life and and the saying that I always repeat to myself uh, whenever I'm finding that discomfort in the unknown is the, there's one thing that I do know and that I, that I know nothing, you know, so it's, it's you know, <laughs> yeah. so let's just go, let's, let's live this life and experience. And at the same time, remember my behaviors and my actions have a consequence to them. And, and yeah. do I, do I want to see that consequence as a positive impact on my life and on, on other people's lives? Or do I want to see that consequence as a, something that I have to be afraid of turning the corner with? And is it going to be something that's going to maybe haunt me? Or if I get caught for this, is it going to be something that's going to get me into severe trouble? Or how are, how are other people going to view me as a person? All that kind of stuff, right? So just remembering we're all in this together as people and we're all on this earth together to, to serve each other and, and bring positiveness to each other is a big deal. Yeah. But yeah. heck yeah, my man. Definitely. I think I'm going to, we, we have barely touched an iceberg here, John. I feel like, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. it's one of those things where I really feel like I, I want to bring you on with Larry again. Um, whenever Larry has yeah. the ability to, to come be on the show with us. Cause his insight, I greatly appreciate. And uh, what I love about him is he, he's a big listener, you know, and it is a big absorber and that's for sure. So, yeah. um, we'll, we'll definitely have you on again. And, uh, in the meantime, yeah. I'm Nick. This is, have been, this has been the love truth leadership podcast. Like I said, Larry, sorry, he couldn't be here, but he sends his best. And as Larry always likes to say, have a grateful day. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, thank you for being here with us. A huge thank you to John England for today's enlightening conversation. It truly reflects what love, truth, leadership is all about. Next episode, I'll be taking a personal turn, sharing my own struggles with self-change. It's a real raw journey, and I'm right in the thick of it. Join me as we explore the ups and downs of personal growth. Until then, keep embracing your path with strength and honesty. This is Nick signing off. Catch you in the next episode. And remember... Leadership is not just a title, but the profound expression of the love and truth we bring into the world. Thanks for listening.